Welcome, everyone, to the new 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories podcast. Here you'll find a collection of Sherlock Holmes adventures, as well as the best of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's stories. Some from our archives at 1001 Classic Short Stories and 1001 Stories for the Road, and some newly produced, all here for your entertainment. This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Country Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invite you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And I'd like to tell you about something Dr. Watson shared with me the other night. Some Petri California sherry. Did you ever have a glass of Petri sherry before dinner? Well, that's a swell time for it because Petri sherry is the best beginning a good meal ever had. What a wine. You don't have to serve it in fancy wine glasses either. Not Petri sherry. That wine would taste wonderful if you drank it out of a water glass. You can just taste those sun-ripened grapes. And incidentally, if you like your sherry dry, you know, not sweet then just do what I do. Ask for Petri Pale Dry Sherry. It's a good idea to always have a bottle of Petri Sherry in the house because it's just the thing to serve when company catches you unprepared. And believe me, you can serve that Petri Sherry proudly because it's a fact that the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wines. And now let's visit with our good friend, Dr. Watson. I know he's expecting Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Evening, Doctor. Oh, you have the old black tin dispatch box out again, I Yes, see. my boy. I've just been refreshing my memory on one or two points in connection with tonight's story. Uh, draw up a chair. Thanks. That's it, that's it. The tobacco's in the jar beside you. Thanks, Doctor. Uh, you know, I'm particularly excited about hearing your story tonight. Uh, last week, you told us that Sherlock Holmes' brother, Mycroft Holmes, took part in the adventure. That's quite right, Mr. Bartell. <laughs> I didn't even know Mr. Holmes had a brother. I wish you'd tell me something about it. Well, Mycroft was seven years older than Sherlock, but the difference between them was amazing. While Holmes was lean and consumed with a burning energy, his elder brother was fat and lazy. And yet Holmes has often told me that Mycroft was his superior in powers of observation and deduction. Well, now that you've thoroughly whetted my appetite, Doctor, how's about it? Very well, my boy. I suppose this story really began in Mycroft Holmes' room at the Foreign Office in London. Although I've said he was a lazy man, he did hold a position of considerable importance. In fact, you may remember that on more than one occasion, Holmes has said, Mycroft is the British government. But uh, to get back to my story. It's on a June morning in 1912, just before the First World War, that a young man in the foreign office named Guy Travers stood talking to Mycroft Holmes, who sat sprawled in an armchair before him, his feet resting on another chair... His cupped hands cradling his ample stomach. Mr. Holmes. I say, Mr. Holmes, you haven't gone to sleep, have you, sir? No, Travers, I'm not asleep. I'm just waiting for you to get to the point. Well, sir, the point is that I'm on the track of the most elusive female spy. Dear me, how exhausting. She's dangerous, sir, very dangerous. She's not only a collector of information, but a sort of central clearinghouse of military secrets as well. You seem to be a little young, Travers, to be on such a case. I asked for the assignment, sir. Why? 
Female spies aren't as glamorous as they sound, you know. No one knows that better than I do, sir. You see, my brother got mixed up with this girl two years ago. He was cashiered from his regiment and committed suicide. I'm sorry, Travers. Tell me what you found out about her. You say you've been on her track? I've traced her to a number of seaside towns, but she keeps slipping through my fingers. Have you a list of the towns? Yes, sir. What? No, no, no. You read them to me. Well, I first got on a track at Torquay. From there, I tried Weymouth, Bournemouth, Portsmouth, Bognor, Worthing, Hove, Brighton, and... Uh... I trust you drew the obvious conclusion. I think I did, sir. Several of those towns are naval bases. No, no, no. The list you've just read me is a recognized theatrical circuit. Oh, I, I never thought of that. The simplest way to track down your spy is to find whether she was appearing in either a play or variety act in all of the towns on the dates covered by your inquiries. Yes, Mr. Holmes, I'll do that at once, and I'll report back to you. Oh, very much. Close the door quietly, won't you? I'm confoundedly sleepy. Mr. Holmes? Mr. Holmes, you haven't gone to sleep again, have you, sir? Oh, it's you, Travers. Well, <coughs> what did you find out? A great deal, sir. The only theatrical show that was appearing at all of those towns was a magician's act called The Great Gandolfo. I trust you went and saw the performance. Yes, sir. Last night at Hastings. And? The magician's assistant was a girl who looked exactly like the one I saw my brother with two years ago. Did you go backstage and talk to her? Yes, sir. But it's a funny thing. For though she looked exactly like the other girl, I swear she isn't the same one. This girl seemed utterly charming and sincere when she told me she'd never heard of my brother. Hmm, that's the danger of putting you young fellows on a case of this kind. A beautiful woman and a good actress can fool you nine times out of ten. What's your next move, Travers? Well, sir, I was hoping perhaps... Perhaps you might come down with me and see the act. It's playing at Eastbourne tomorrow. It's not very far, sir. Stir my twenty stone. <laughs> leave, leave the comforts of my office and club to track a spy. No, my boy. However, your mention of Eastbourne gives me an idea. Yes, sir? My young brother Sherlock is living on a bee farm a few miles outside Eastbourne. He might help you. He's a great detective, isn't he, sir? I have never regarded him as one. Though I will admit that for a man with such a shocking excess of physical energy, he possesses a relatively superior mind. Yes, yes, go and ask Sherlock. Thank you, sir, I will. <laughs> Tell him that if, uh, if he can't solve the case, I'll do it for him, and without London. And so, Mr. Holmes, I did as your brother suggested and came down here to Eastbourne to tell you about the case. I quite understand, Mr. Travers. Very interesting story, too, my boy. I'm certainly glad that I happen to be staying down here with you, Holmes. Uh, you'll handle the case, of course. I'm undecided, old fellow. The problem presents some interesting possibilities, and yet my life here among the bees has taken on a pleasant and soothing pattern. Oh, I, I hate to disturb oh, it. Oh, come, 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 Holmes. It'll be good for you to get away from your wretched beast for a few days. I forgot to tell you, Mr. Holmes... As I left your brother, he told me that if you couldn't solve the case, he'd do it for you, without leaving London. <laughs> Dear old Mycroft, he meant that as a challenge. Hand me the paper, will you, Watson? Uh, yeah. Thanks, old chap. Oh, what are you looking for? The amusement guide. Ah, here it is. Devonshire Theatre, Eastbourne, twice, nightly varieties, 6.30 and 9, the great Gandolfo, King of Magic. You mean you come to the theatre with me tonight, Mr. Holmes? Certainly. I can't allow Mycroft's challenge to go unanswered, and I'm sure that Dr. Watson will accompany us when I tell him Miss Sissy Gitana is also appearing on the bill singing. An old favorite of his. There was I waiting at the church, waiting at the church, waiting at the church. 
Entertaining woman, Sissy Katana. <laughs> and that's good looking, too. My wife will let me. <laughs> the great Gant is next, Mr. Holmes. Yes, I'm just studying the program. Ha <laughs> ha ha. He's not exactly modest in his claims. The great Gandolfo, the world staggering illusionist. Presenting the ceiling cabinet mystery assisted by Miss Florine Lassour. Oh, dear me, how very florid. I must say, I love this old music hall flavor. I remember going to the Palace Theatre a few years ago and see a perfectly charming girl who wore a white dress that made her look like a little white rabbit. <laughs> that dress did look frightfully becoming, I must say. I sent my card round the stage door with some flowers, of course, but to my amazement... That's a fascinating yet... story, old fellow, huh? but I'm afraid you'll have to finish it later. The curtain's oh, going up. There he is. That's the great Gandolfo. By George, this assistant's very attractive, isn't she? Listen. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to be here before you tonight. I may say that the ceiling cabinet mystery that I am about to present has entertained and perplexed half a dozen of the crown kings of Europe uh, together with their queens. Come, don't talk so much. Get on with the trick. <laughs> and I may say I'm hoping that you, ladies and gentlemen, will give me the same courtesy and attention that was given me by the royalty I have just mentioned. Now, before I present my illusion. I should like to ask for two volunteers from the audience who will come up here beside me on the stage so that I may be watched. Uh, two, uh, two volunteers, please. Uh, wait for us here, Mr. Travers. Very well, Mr. Holmes. Come on, Watson. You mean that we're going up on the stage? Yes, it's a wonderful opportunity. Do I see two gentlemen rising? Splendid. Two gentlemen are coming up from the audience. Two gentlemen that I have never seen before. Watch the step, please. That's it. Over the footlights and onto the stage. That's right. And now, sir, have you uh, ever seen me before? Never. And uh, you, sir? Mm. Don't be afraid to speak up, sir. No, I haven't. <laughs> uh, Miss Sewer, please see that the gentlemen are seated. I thank you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to watch me closely. You will observe that there is a wooden cabinet on the stage. There is also another cabinet of the same shape and size hanging high above me, which uh, you can all, all see. Um, a glass of water, please, Miss Lesseur. Well, go on. Put a sock in it. <laughs> what did you say, sir? You heard you ain't got cloth <laughs> We will dispense with the glass of water. Now, my assistant, Miss Florine Lesseur, will step into this cabinet on the stage. I want you two gentlemen to watch very closely. Miss Lesseur is now lying inside the cabinet, is she not? Yes, she is. Very well. I close the lid. So, I lock it with these bolts. And now, I ask one of you gentlemen to attach this uh, padlock to the box. Uh, you, sir, will you oblige me? Very well. I thank you. And now, ladies and gentlemen... Before your eyes, you have seen Miss Lesseur enter a cabinet on this stage. A cabinet that has been bolted and padlocked. You can still see the duplicate cabinet hanging above me by an attachment of wires and pulleys. I now count a one, 
a two, a three, and fire this revolver at the cabinet above me. If you two gentlemen will kindly help me, we will lower the ceiling cabinet to the stage. You will notice that this cabinet is also bolted and padlocked. I will ask one of you two gentlemen to unbolt it. I thank you, sir. And to this gentleman, I shall hand the key of the padlock. Uh, kindly unlock it, sir. I thank you. And now, if you will both raise the lid of the cabinet. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is Miss Florine Lassour. <laughs> Why did we have to leave, Holmes? I was having a wonderful time. I'm sorry to beg you away, Watson, but there's work to be done. Mr. Holmes, if you want to go backstage, I'll introduce you to Miss Lasseur. Oh, that's a splendid idea. Before we do that, Mr. Travers, there's one important fact I want to know. What is it, sir? I presume you have a dossier of the available facts concerning this spy? Yes, sir, everything that we've been able to find out. Uh, among that evidence, do you by any chance have any fingerprint records? Yes, sir, I do. Splendid. Then let's go at once to the nearest police station and compare the fingerprints on this glass with those in your possession. Where did you get that glass, Holmes? You remember that Miss Lasseur, before she entered that cabinet on the stage, handed Gandolfo a glass of water. You mean that's the glass? Why else should I be carrying a drinking glass with me, old chap? Hmm, very neat, Mr. Holmes, and right under the nose of a magician, too. Well, I'm not exactly inept at the practice of... Uh... Leisure domain myself, Mr. Travers. Come on, let's have a talk with that local fingerprint expert, shall we? Mr. Holmes, the fingerprints on this glass you brought me are not the same as the one shown in this record. Yep. Oh, absolutely, sir. Just as I thought. I'm much obliged to you. Always glad to help a gentleman like you, Mr. Holmes. Thank you and good night. Come on, Travers. Watson. I wish you'd explain what you're up to, Holmes. So do I, sir. I'm completely in the dark. Surely it's obvious. The only way Gandalfo's trick could be done is by using twin girls dressed identically, of course. One in the cabinet on the stage and the other in the cabinet hanging from the ceiling. I don't know whether you noticed it, Watson, but there were small holes drilled around the base of the box, undoubtedly, to enable its occupant to breathe. By George, of course. That would explain why the girl I spoke to didn't seem to know me, or my brother when I spoke of him. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And in any case, how better could a spy hide herself from a role where her employer, a magician, must, by the very nature of his trick, deny her existence? The question is, which girl is the spy? This fingerprint test has given us the answer. You mean it isn't the girl on the stage, the one assisted Gandolfo? It certainly is not, old fellow. Your spy will be in the cabinet, suspended high above the stage of the Devonshire Theatre at nine o'clock this evening. But this time, we will watch the performance from the audience. <laughs> We, we mustn't let her get away. Don't worry, old chap. But keep your eyes, Ken. You may have a surprise for us. And I will now ask one of you two gentlemen to unbolt the cabinet. I thank you, sir. And now, 
if this gentleman will take the key and unlock the padlock. I thank you, sir. And now, if you will both raise the lid of the cabinet. I thank you. And here, ladies and gentlemen, is Miss Florine Lasseur. Miss Lasseur, step out, please. Miss Lasseur, bring down the curtain. It's been an accident. Come on, Watson. Let's get up on the stage. Right, your Holmes. What happened, sir? It's Miss Lasseur. She's been injured. I'm a doctor. Let me look at her. I'm afraid she's beyond the health of doctors, Watson. Look at that bullet wound in her head. She's been murdered. We'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a few seconds, so I'm just going to make a very quick suggestion. If you like good food, who doesn't, you'll find that good food always tastes better when accompanied by a good glass of Petri wine. And Petri makes wonderful mealtime wine. If you like a red wine, you know, to go with any meat or meat dish, you really like Petri California Burgundy. And if you prefer a white wine to go with chicken or fish, you couldn't ask for a better one than Petri California Sauterne. Remember those two wines, huh? Petri Burgundy and Petri Sauterne. They're Petri wines, so you know they're good. Now back to Dr. Watson and tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure, The Great Gandolfo. W what happened next, Doctor? You just got to the part where you and Sherlock Holmes on, on the stage of a vaudeville theater were examining the dead body of one of the great Gandolfo's assistants. That's right, my boy. As you can imagine, the excitement was intense. The local police were soon at the theater, and the officer in charge, a certain Sergeant Buff, seemed <clears throat> to take a very great personal dislike to Sherlock Holmes. The great Sherlock Holmes comes out of retirement to teach our police force how to handle a case, doesn't oh, he? Sergeant Buff, you're being ridiculous. I'm not trying to teach the police anything. You follow your own line of investigation and I'll follow mine. And supposing I say I don't want private detectives poking their nose into a police investigation. <laughs> then, my good man, I shall report your conduct to the local chief of police and obtain the necessary permission. Uh, no need to get uppity about it, Mr. Holmes, but too many cooks spoil the broth, you know. Oh, an extremely profound remark, Sergeant. And now, if you'll excuse me, I've work to do. And so have I. And we'll see who gets to the bottom of this first. I'm going to Condolfo's dressing room. Holmes, I'm worried about the dead girl's twin sister. I've been looking for her everywhere, and no one seems to have seen her since the tragedy occurred. Naturally, my dear chap, you'd hardly expect her to reveal the secret of the cabinet trick by exposing the fact that the uh, dead girl had a twin. But I never thought of that. But we saw her there on the stage when the trick started. Seems to me that she's in great danger. She is in very great danger. Now, don't worry. I've taken the precaution of having her guarded. Oh? How, Holmes? I'll explain that to you later. In the meantime, we have to work fast. It appears that Sergeant Buff is out to try and show me up by uh, solving the case first. That makes the second challenge I've received today. Well, Mr. Holmes, and how are you getting along? Splendidly, thanks. And you? I'm beaten, I don't mind admitting it. I thought at first the one man it couldn't be was Gandolfo because he was on the stage all the time. But then it seemed to me that he might have fired a live bullet when he shot at the box on the ceiling. But the angle from the stage wouldn't coincide with the bullet hole in the bottom of the box, Sergeant. That shot must have been fired from the audience below. Uh, Mr. Holmes, uh, you know who did it, don't you? Yes, Sergeant, I do. Well, I, I wish you'd tell me, Mr. Holmes. It should be obvious, Sergeant. 
Watson, you examined the corpse. Please tell the sergeant your findings. Well, the girl was lying on her back in the box. There was a small hole in her forehead and a large one in the nape of her neck. Exactly. And since the point of entrance of a bullet is smaller than the point of exit, it proves that she must have been shot hanging in the box from above. Once the box was in position over the audience, uh, she could have been shot only from below. Therefore, the girl had already been killed when the box was hoisted to the ceiling. By Joe, yes. And only one person could have done that. Only two. Oh, how do you figure that out, Mr. Holmes? The dead girl's sister had the same opportunity as the great Gandolfo himself. Of course she had. Uh, now I see why you were having her watched, Mr. Holmes. If you'll excuse me saying so, sir, I begin to think it's a good thing you're on this case after all. Oh, that's very generous of you, Sergeant. And now perhaps if you, uh, you'll do me the favor of keeping an eye on Mr. Gandolfo yourself. Uh, of course I will, sir. Where are we going, Holmes? To the Jolly Fisherman Hotel to call us La Sur. How do you know she's there? I just received a message from young Travers. He followed her on my instructions as she left the theater. Come on, old chap. There's no time to be lost. Ah, there you are, Travers. Miss Lasseur is still here, I trust. Yes, Mr. Holmes. She's up in her room. I wonder if you'd mind asking her to come down and see me. I'm sure that we can talk privately in the lounge over there. Right you are, Mr. Holmes. I'll go and get her. What are you going to say to Miss Lasseur, Holmes? That depends on her attitude, old chap. Come on, let's go into the lounge, shall we? Oh, it's a lucky thing that you had her forward. It was an obvious precaution, Watson. You see, I realized from the very nature of the cabinet trick that Miss Lasseur would have to leave the theater after escaping through the trap door below the cabinet uh, that was on the stage before her twin sister descended from the cabinet that was su suspended from the ceiling. And she doesn't know that her sister's been murdered, huh? If she's innocent, she doesn't. And if she is innocent, then we'll know that our murderer is Gandolfo. Here she comes. I've told Miss Lesseur that you want to talk to her privately, Mr. Holmes. If it's the act you want to talk about, Mr. Holmes, I've nothing to say. Magicians have a code of honor, you know. I quite appreciate that fact, Miss Lesseur. Won't you sit down? What do you want with me? I have news for you. News of your twin sister. My... I haven't got a twin sister. My friend knows exactly how the cabinet trick is done, my dear young lady. Yes, you might as well tell the truth, Miss Lesseur. Well, all right then, so I have a twin sister. What of it? No crime in that, is there? What are you getting at? I want you to believe that I'm here to help, my dear. You're going to need help and courage. What are you getting at? Oh, come on, tell me. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Miss Lasseur, your sister is dead. Dead? Huh. I don't believe it. I'm afraid it's true. She was murdered. You're lying. This is a trick. You're trying to make me give myself away. I'm trying to get at the truth. Your sister was found... Shot through the head when the cabinet was lowered to the stage tonight. I, I still don't believe it. Why should my friend lie to you? How was your sister the last time you saw her for the commencement of the act? No different from any other time. Who was responsible for superintending her entry into the cabinet? Gandolfo, or me. She used to go into it before the performance when the stage was dark and deserted. Did you help her enter the box tonight? No. Gandolfo did. You knew, of course, of your sister's activities. How do you mean... That she was engaged in espionage. That's not true. Very well, Miss Lesseur. You won't be honest with me. I'm afraid I'll have to turn you over to the police. I think you'll find their methods are a little more crude than mine, though. The, the police? Oh, no. No, don't do that, Mr. Holmes. All right, I'll tell you everything. Gandolfo's got me so frightened of him. I was lying to you. I knew that my sister was working for him. I tried to stop her, but she loved money. And Gandolfo gave her plenty of that. They had a row before the show tonight. 
She knew you were on the stage at the first performance, Mr. Holmes. Gandolfo had spotted you, too, because she was frightened. Said she knew you'd catch her and she wanted to run away. Gandolfo told her that she had to appear tonight. And they were still arguing about it when they left the dressing room. The dirty swine killed her because he was afraid she'd give him away. And now he'll kill me, too! Don't worry, my dear. The great Gandolfo will be beyond the help of magic before this night is out. Yes, he'll be behind bars where he belongs. Travers. Yes, sir. And stay here with Miss Lasseur, will you? We'll be back later at the moment. There is unfinished business awaiting us at the Devonshire Theatre. Well, Mr. Holmes, I can't tell you how grateful I am. Gandolfo's safely in prison, thanks to you, and now you tell me you don't want no credit in the case. Oh, my dear sergeant. I'm really a beef army, you know. In any case, I want to restore your faith in private detectives. The next time you meet one, I'm, I, I'm sure you won't be so, um, uh, so unfriendly, shall I say? Uh, I'm humble, sir. I, I'm very humble, and, and I thank you very kindly for all you've done. Oh, and uh, uh, by the way, Mr. Holmes, uh, this telegram arrived for you at the theater uh, while you were away, and uh, here you are, sir. Oh, thank you, Sergeant Buck. Uh, no, sir, it's me that should be thanking you, sir. Who on earth knew that you were at the theater tonight? I will soon find out. Well, what does it say, Holmes? <laughs> it's from my brother, Mycroft. Mycroft? What's he got to say? Oh, really, it's quite humiliating. After all, he said he hadn't, uh, he wouldn't have to, and he ne never did leave his armchair in London. Listen to this. Have just checked on Gandolfo's repertoire of magic tricks. You will find spy in bar suspended from ceiling of theatre. Elementary, eh, my dear Sherlock? <laughs> Joe Holmes, he, he really <laughs> is amazing, isn't he? <laughs> he is also a prophet, old chap. Prophet? How do you mean? Well, he indicates the handwriting on the wall. I'm past my prime. I'm too old for alert detection. It's back to me bee farm, old fellow. It's back to me bees. <laughs> Doctor, that was a swell story. I bet it was an interesting case to work on. Yes, it certainly was. I've always had a fancy for the theater, you know. <laughs> what you really mean, Doctor, is you always had an eye for a pretty girl. <laughs> Mr. Buckell, you a blunt fellow. <laughs> Why not? I must admit, I like to look at a pretty girl myself. You, Mr. Buckell? Why shouldn't I like to look at a pretty girl? Oh, go right ahead and look, my dear fellow. Go right ahead. You just sort of surprised me a bit, that's all. I never thought you gave a moment's consideration to anything but pet rewind. <laughs> now you're really pulling my leg. <laughs> I must admit, I do talk a lot about pet rewind. After all, Doctor, it's worth talking about. Well, the wine has such tradition, such a story behind it. Pet rewind is made by a family, the Petri family. They've owned and run their own business ever since its inception, back in the 1800s. The Petri family's been making good wine for generations. And they've been handing on down in the family from father to son... From father to son, the fine art of turning luscious, sun-ripened grapes into fragrant, delicious wine. And that sure adds up to a lot of experience. You can just bet your last dollar that no matter what kind of wine you want, when you ask for a Petri wine, you're asking for good wine. Because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, Dr. Hobbs, about giving us a clue to next week's Sherlock Holmes adventure? Well, now, uh... Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you a most unusual story that took place aboard a small steamship as it plowed through the stormy seas of the Indian Ocean. I call the adventure Murder by Moonlight. Oh, uh, before I say good night, ladies and gentlemen, remember that on Saturday, October the 27th, 
the nation will observe Navy Day. This is your opportunity to thank your fleet for its magnificent contribution towards victory. Don't forget, will you? Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Second Stain. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studios. This is the Mutual Broadcasting This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petri family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting he shared with his old friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. So let's settle back comfortably and listen. And uh, while you're getting settled, I'd like to know who likes seafood. And by seafood, I mean everything from, well, from broiled lobster to fried halibut. Because if you like seafood, any seafood, you'll love it together with Petri California Sauterne. Fish and Petri Sauterne were made for each other. No kidding. Boy, I'll never in my life forget a broiled brook trout on the plate in front of me and a glass of well-chilled Petri Sauterne right next to it. Mm. That fish and that Sauterne. Mm. Petri Sauterne has a pale golden color that's really good to look at. And as for taste, well, that Petri flavor is really something. Take my word for it and try it, won't you? Oh, and I'll tell you something else. Try that Petri Sauterne with chicken sometime. <laughs> look, I'd better stop before I get hungry all over again, but just remember this. The best friend a good meal ever had is a glass of Petri wine. <laughs> And now let's keep our appointment with the good Dr. Watson. Good evening, Doctor. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Come over here and join me by the fire. I didn't think it was cold enough for a fire tonight, Doctor. Oh, I suppose it isn't really, but there was one late, so I just couldn't resist putting a match to it. <laughs> Fire's a good accompaniment to storytelling anyway. Oh, yes, my boy, a fire and a glass of port. Uh, care to join me in one? Thanks, Doctor. So, uh, you're going to tell us a sea story tonight. Yes, Mr. Bartell. The whole adventure took place aboard a small steamer as it plowed through the stormy seas of the Indian Ocean. Uh, here's your glass, my boy. Thanks. And uh, what were you and the great Sherlock Holmes doing on the Indian Ocean, may we're I ask? On our way to Calcutta to solve the case of the vanishing elephant of Pa Butipur. Oh, yes, the story you told us a few weeks ago. That's quite right, my boy. It's in the summer of 1894 that we left Liverpool aboard the steamship Lucifer wasn't a large ship, and as both the uh, Mediterranean and the Red Sea proved somewhat, shall we say, unfriendly, I may tell you the first part of the voyage was quite unpleasant. 
In fact, until we left Aden, I'd spent most of the time in my cabin. I'm not much of a sailor. However, as we headed eastward towards Colombo, the weather cleared up a bit, and I came on desk and joined home. I remember on the second night out of Aden, we paced the decks together. The stars above us twinkled, the promise of a bright tomorrow, and the faint tinkle of a piano being played in the passenger lounge formed a perfect setting for an evening stroll. <clears throat> and it seems like yesterday, Holmes said... Watson, it's good to see you on your feet again. Yes, it's good to be on them, Holmes. It's been a miserable trip for me so far. The captain told me tonight that we can expect good weather between here and Caravati. Our next port of call. I thought Colombo was the next stop. And where is Caravati, whatever you call it? Anyway, I never heard of the place. It's a tiny island in the Indian Ocean. It's a British protectorate. Those are the only facts I was able to glean from the encyclopedia and the oh, ship's did you library. Did ask the captain why we're stopping there? No, no, I didn't. Um, as we're traveling incognito, I felt it wiser not to ask too many questions. I find this incognito business something of a strain. Every time a steward calls me Mr. Hamish, I can't think who on earth he's talking to. Ah, whereas I find myself answering to Mr. Mycroft almost automatically. By the way, old chap, now that you're going to mix with the ship's passengers, I suggest that you adopt a Scotch accent. It would seem more appropriate for... Mr. Hamish, and I don't want anyone aboard to suspect our true identity. Oh, I'll do my best, but I must say, Holmes, I think you're being unnecessarily mysterious. <laughs> Possibly I've been influenced by reading too many of your rather florid stories of our adventures together. My stories are not florid. They're all perfectly true. Oh, don't, don't be angry with me, old chap. Don't be angry, please. By the way, uh, we'll... Uh, you'll be interested to know that I've uh, unearthed a little mystery aboard this well, boat. I trust you to do that. Where is she? I mean, what huh? is... Oh, you observe that suite of cabins on the bridge deck above us? Yeah? What about them? Well, I've been watching them during uh, my nightly strolls for the past two weeks. The suite is occupied and uh, the blinds are never raised. And I've never seen meals taken in there. I presume, therefore, that it must contain a private galley and a cook. I don't say anything mysterious about that. It's probably occupied by some wealthy invalid. Well, possibly, possibly. Another interesting fact is that the occupants are not... Uh, entered on the ship's passenger list. It all sounds very mysterious. There's probably a perfectly simple explanation for it. In any case, you must save your energies for the problem that awaits us in India. You're Mr. Mycroft now, remember that. I will, Mr. Hamish. Uh, Mr. Mycroft? Uh, yes, Mr. Hamish? Would you care to join me for a wee drop of brandy in the smoking room? <laughs> Mr. Hamish, I shall be delighted. <laughs> Excellent brandy. Excellent. Watson. Watson, you notice that rather garrulous gentleman over there in the corner? You mean the one at the table with the oriental-looking fellow? Yes, the talkative man is the ship's doctor, but I haven't seen the other gentleman before on this voyage. I wonder if he's an occupant of the mysterious suite on the bridge deck. Let's go over and talk to him, shall we? And remember the accent, Mr. Hamish. <laughs> and so, Verda... When we landed at Colombo, I decided to take Mrs. Abbott for a moonlight rickshaw drive for the cinnamon gardens. Uh, uh, did you gentlemen want to see me? Uh, if you'll excuse us, Dr. Harris, my friend Mr. Hamish and I were having a little argument and we thought that perhaps you might be able to settle it for An us. An argument? Oh, I love a good argument. Uh, sit down, gentlemen. This, uh, this is Mr. Verder. How do you do, gentlemen? Uh, good evening, sir. My name is Hamish and this is my friend, Mr. Mr. Mycroft. I'm so happy to meet you, gentlemen. Now, how do you know, Mr. 
now, gentlemen, uh, tell me what you're arguing about. Uh, well, not a good argument. Uh, you see, it, it wasn't exactly an argument. My friend Mr. Hamish insists that the Suez Canal was built by a Dutchman in 1870. I'm convinced that it was built by Lessips, a Frenchman, in 1869. We, uh, we thought you'd know. <laughs> you flatter me. I'm only a ship's doctor, not an historian. Ask Verdi. He probably knows. Uh, can you settle the question for us, sir? I can, my Mr. Mycroft. Uh, you are almost correct. The canal was opened in 1869, though its construction began ten years previously. De Lesseps, a French engineer, was in charge of the operation. There is a statue of him in Port Said Harbor, built to commemorate his skill and enterprise. Oh, much obliged to you, Mr. Vera. Uh, Hamish, I think that I win my bet. Aye, my cuff, I'm afraid you do, if you're sure of your facts, Mr. Vera. <laughs> uh, I'm sufficiently sure of them, Mr. Hamish. To venture a small wager myself. No, no, no. I think I'll not make any more bets on the subject, thank you. Uh, well, gentlemen, if you will excuse me, I shall return to my cabin now. Oh, don't go. No, 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 no don't go, sir. You'll make us feel as if we'd driven you away. Oh, not at all, Mr. Hemish. I enjoyed meeting you both, but I have some letters to write. Good evening, gentlemen. Uh, he's, he's a charming person. Charming and extremely knowledgeable. Mm, bit of a bore, if you ask me. Uh, you two fellas enjoyed your trip? I'm just beginning to. It takes a little time to get my sea legs, you know. Uh, Dr. Harris, how long have you been on this ship? Four years. Uh, this is the third trip east on the Lucifer. Uh -huh. Why? Well, uh, there's something that puzzles me on board this ship. I'm sure that you would explain it to me. And what is it? Well, the uh, suite of cabins on the bridge deck. Who occupies them? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? I don't know we would, and that's why my friend asked you. Well, I'll tell you. Though it's supposed to be a secret. But there'll be no harm in telling you now, for we're dropping anchor off the island of Cavarati in the morning. In that suite of rooms, in that suite of rooms, is the Rani of Cavarati herself. She has her own staff of servants and everything. What do you think of that? Oh, how very interesting. And is the oriental gentleman who uh, left the table when we arrived part of our entourage? He is, sir. He's the sort of uh, prime minister of Cavarati. This whole two days is very hush-hush. Rani returning to her country, afraid someone might make an attack on her life. Have to keep it all hush-hush. Cavarati is an island that's had a lot of trouble. <laughs> you seem to be remarkably well informed about the place, sir. Yeah, I should be. I used to practice there in my younger days. Oh, really? How very interesting. Yes, I could tell you strange tales about the island. I remember... Oh, hello. See that fellow coming into the lounge? You mean the big one with the, the grey hair? Yes. That's Sir Christopher Wyatt. Owns all the tea plantations on Cavarati. He's a dull fellow, but I'll call him over. Uh, Wyatt, come over and join us. Be careful. You'll talk your head off if you give him half a chance. Ah, draw up a chair, Wyatt. We were just, just talking about Cavarati. It seems to me that would be a good subject to keep away from. At least till after tomorrow, Harris. What do you mean? You know perfectly well what I mean. I should have thought that after your own experience on Cavarati, you'd have learned a little discretion. You're talking like a schoolmaster, Wyatt. Why don't you sit down, have a drink, and be friendly? Thank you. I prefer my own company. Pompous ass. You and Sir Christopher don't seem on the best of terms, Doctor. I know too much about him. He's afraid of me. That's what he is. Uh, look at this girl coming into the room. Great scut. She's good looking. Judging by our oriental costume, she must be a member of the Rani's retinue. Yeah, she's coming to our table. Yes, my dear. What is it? Which of you gentlemen is Mr. Mycroft, please? I am. My mistress sends her compliments and asks that you will call on her in her suite. And who is your mistress, may I ask? Her Highness, the Rani of Cavarotti. Oh, I shall be delighted. Please tell the Rani that I shall pay my specs without delay. We will join her in a few minutes. Very well, Mr. Michael.
You know, Holmes, this is pretty exciting. The girl that just brought us the message was a stunning creature. Imagine what the Rani herself must be like. Oh, what an incurabest you are, Watson. I suppose you picture the Rani clad in oriental splendor, reclining like an odorless gonce. Silken cushions. Oh, no, no, there's no need to make fun of me, old fellow. <laughs> oh, here we are, the cabin. Ah, oh, it is you, gentlemen. Follow me, please. Her Highness, the Rani of Cavaratti. All right, Regina, you can off it. Yes, Your Highness. Well, me lads, don't look so startled. Come in and sit down. Your Highness, I... Uh, what's the matter? What's the matter? Don't I fit into your picture of a Rani? What did you expect? A slant-eyed beauty with a veil and big hips? Well, I've got the big hips, all right. Uh, your Highness, um, <laughs> Oh, I, never mind, what? Your Highness. Sit yourselves down and talk free and easy-like. I may as well begin by telling you that I know who you both are. Mr. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Oh, dear me, dear me. Oh, I've seen you in the good old days in London, you know. Uh, may I ask if our visit is purely a social one, or are you in need of uh, professional advice? Oh, a little of both, Mr. Holmes, a little of both. And we'll start off with being social. Bruma. Mem Saib. Champagne. Botachi, Mem Saib. If you'll pardon my asking you, madam, but uh, I've never seen you before, somehow. <laughs> oh, that's a question I always haven't answered. Yes, you probably have, Dr. Watson. You see, I was in the chorus at Daly's Theatre in London for a, quite a few years until the Raja of Carberati decided I'd look better on his island than I did in front of the footlights. Uh, your husband, the Raja, is dead, isn't he? Yes, he, he was killed playing polo. Champagne, ma'am, side. Polo. Champagne, Pina Secta. Acha. He doesn't speak English, so I'll get along with telling him my troubles. Mr. Holmes, somebody's trying to kill me. Kill you? It's good. And may I ask what reason you have for saying that, madam? You may, Mr. Holmes. <clears throat> Before I left England, I had threatening letters warning me that if I ever went back to Cavarotti, I'd never get to the island alive. I got another letter in Port Side that said the same thing. You kept these letters, I trust? No, I didn't. I tore them up. I never did pay any attention to letters that weren't signed. Well, that's a great pity, madam. Those letters might have been invaluable. Well, it's too late to think about that now, Dr. Watson. Here's what's on my mind. I landed Cavarotti in the morning, and if anyone's up to a bit of no good... Tonight's their last chance. You had destroyed the threatening letters, madam, thereby indicating that you did not believe in the threats, and yet you now appear to feel that you are in danger. I wonder what made you change your mind. The ace of spades. Yes? I don't understand you, madam. In the last two days, every time I tell my fortune, I get the ace of spades. <laughs> now, you know what that means. Death. Oh, come now, madam. If you'll pardon my saying so, that's a very childish superstition. Well, the cards have never lied to me yet. Oh, you can laugh at it if you like, but I know. <laughs> well, do you mind if I ask you a few questions? Anything you like, Mr. Holmes. Fire away. How long is it since you were in Cavarati? Mm, about 18 months. We were in England when my husband died, and I couldn't face the idea of going to that island alone. In three months ago, Verda... Oh, he's the chief minister of Cavarati. Yes, 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 madam. We met him for a moment in the lounge. Oh, no. Verda came over to England to persuade me it was my duty as the Ronnie to go back. I see. As far as you know, have you any enemies among the passengers on board the ship? Oh, that's an odd one to answer, Mr. Holmes. But I can tell you right here in my suite there's someone who doesn't like me. The girl Raduna, the one that brought you my message. She was in love with the Roger herself. I know she hates me, even though she did stay with England after my husband died. Mm, how about Ferda, your minister? <laughs> oh, he's all right. My husband thought the world of him, and he's been wonderful to me. He came from Cavarati recently, you say, to persuade you to return there. That's right, Mr. Holmes. Well... Bruma seems to be all right after drinking that champagne, so it'll be safe for us to have some now. 
Champagne unlock the door? Both at your main side. Oh, I've been burning with curiosity to know why you gave him a glass of champagne a few minutes ago, and yet we <laughs> didn't have any. Well, surely that's obvious, Watson. Mm. Uh, Fulmer is the official poison taster, isn't mm. he, madam? That's right, Mr. Holmes. He tastes everything I eat or drink before I do. If it doesn't affect him, then I know it's safe. Bertha brought him over to England when he came to fetch me. On the island of Cavarotti, poisoning's quite an arbor, you know. There were uh, two people in the smoking room tonight who seemed to know quite a lot about your island. The ship's doctor, a rather garrulous gentleman by the name of Harris, and Sir Christopher Wyatt, who owns tea plantations on the island. Do you know either of them, madam? I should say I do, both of them. Dr. Harris isn't any good. He was on the island fit, but got into some kind of trouble, and my husband had him thrown out. Mm, and how about Sir Christopher Wyatt? Oh, Chris is all right. I saw quite a bit of him in London after my husband's death. <laughs> As a matter of fact, well, if I weren't going back to Cavarotti, I, I don't think he'd be on the boat at all. He hasn't been there for over five years, ever since he had a row with my husband over the wages he paid the native labor. It seemed to me that several people aboard this boat have a personal interest in the island of Cavarotti. Interests that might uh, be influenced by your death. That's yes, just what I was going to say, madam. I think we should uh, keep an eye on you. Oh, that's just what I was hoping you'd say, Doctor. You see, I'm having a bit of a supper party tonight. All the people we've been talking about have been invited. And I thought, well, I thought if you two were to be here, perhaps you'd be on the lookout for any, any funny business. How about it? Well, of course we'll come, won't we, Holmes? I think it might be a good idea. Though I would suggest that we retain our incognitos as Mr. Hamish and... Uh, Mr. Mycroft. Whatever you say, Mr. Holmes. And now, let's have that champagne. You know, Holmes, I remember the rally when she was in the course at Daly's. She looked stunning in tights. There was one night I... Yes, no, I'm all shattered. We... Don't mind. At well, the moment, there's a question I want to ask you. Oh, sir? Is your medical bag fully equipped with all the antidotes to poison? Poison? It's ridiculous. How could the Rani be poisoned when she has a poison taster? My dear Watson, you mustn't... Help! 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 What the blazes is Come on, Watson. That cry came from the companionway. There are two figures struggling by the rail there. Good heavens! One of them has pushed the other down the companionway. Good Lord. His skull smashed in. I'm afraid what that he... It? What's happened? Sir Christopher Wyatt. What are you doing here? I was taking a stroll. I heard a yell from this direction and came here as fast as I could. Great Scott, this fellow's bleeding badly. We must get the ship's doctor. It's hardly necessary, I fear, Sir Christopher. What do you mean? In the first place, this man is dead. In the second place, he is the ship's doctor. <laughs> We'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a second, so I'm just going to ask you to do one thing for me. Well, I should say for yourself. Tomorrow night, if you're having meat or any meat dish for dinner, why not open up a bottle of Petri California Burgundy? That wonderful, rich, red Petri Burgundy will turn your dinner into a real feast. You see if it doesn't. Because there's nothing like a good wine with good food. And I know you only gets good food, and I know that Petri Burgundy is a good wine. In fact, it's a perfect mealtime wine. Try it and see. And now, Dr. Watson, tell us what happened next. You said you found the ship's doctor dead at the foot of the companionway? Yes, Mr. Bartell. His neck had been broken instantly. Imagine there was a good deal of excitement aboard. No, my boy. As a matter of fact, there wasn't. We managed to get the body back to its cabin without attracting attention. 
Holmes, after revealing his true identity, was able to persuade the captain to hush up the killing until after the Rani's party had taken place. Oh, he didn't want to scare the murderer, I guess. What happened next, Doctor? Holmes and I returned to our cabin to dress for the party. Holmes, I remember, was in a state of suppressed excitement. He spoke quietly and deliberately. Watson, surely it's obvious why the doctor was murdered. Well, it isn't obvious to me. It's elementary, my dear fellow. You are playing a subtle murder by poison. How wise to remove the one man who might save the victim's life, a doctor. Oh, you keep harping on poisoning. It seems to me that to be the last way a murderer would try to dispose of the Rani. Everything she touches is first tested by the poison tester. Exactly. That's why I call it a subtle murder attempt. Didn't you notice the physical attributes of Fruma, the poison tester? Uh, which in particular? Huh? Well, his unusually glossy hair, his remarkably clear complexion, his plump figure. Look here. Just tell me one thing, will you? What's that? I presume that in your medical bag you have a supply of magnesia. Naturally. Do you also have hydrated ferric oxide? Yes, I do. Splendid. Then to be off to the party. Oh, funny things to take to a party, I must say. That's true, my dear fellow, but I'm afraid that this party may not prove as convivial as the Rani thinks. morning. Everything seems to be going splendidly. It seems to be, Watson, but keep your eyes on the Rani. Yes, I have been. The poison taste has tested everything that passed her lips. Uh, we do Doris to you, Sir Christopher. Uh, you having a good time? Yes, indeed. Thank you, Mr. Hamish. How about you, Mr. Mycroft? Oh, the Rani's a perfect hostess. Who could help having a good time? I don't think that girl, Regina, should be here, though. I don't want to be pompous, but after all, she's only a glorified servant. Oh, possibly the laws of etiquette are not so strict in ca- <coughs> Cavarati as they are in London, Sir Christopher. Oh, perhaps you're right. But I don't trust the girl. <coughs> Something's shifty about her. I've told the Rani more than once. Oh, well, I suppose it's none of my business. I think I'll try and persuade the Rani to sing one of her old songs. Yeah. He doesn't trust Raduna, and I don't trust him. I don't think it was an accident that we found him near the body of Dr. Harris. Shh, here comes Vera. I trust you gentlemen are enjoying yourself. Very much, Mr. Vera, thank you. I imagine you must be excited at the prospect of returning to Calabati. I am, Mr. Mycroft. Though I only left it three months ago, it has seemed more like three years. Do you can what time we'll arrive there? I am told that we shall be there in five hours, Mr. Hamish. Oh, look, look, look. The run is at the piano. She must be going to give us a tune. <laughs> yes, let's move a little closer, shall we? Chris here has asked me to sing something. Well, my voice isn't what it used to be, and don't I know it. But me spirit's the same, and that's enough to put a number over. So, old time boys, here we go. My sweetheart's the man in the moon. I'm going to marry him soon. Two would fill me with bliss just to give him one kiss. But I know that a dozen I never would miss. I'll go up in a great big... Oh... Great Scott, she... she quick, Watson, your medical bag. I'll lock the door. Right, now, Holmes. Bring some water, please. Help me. Oh, please, help what is me. What is the matter? Don't be frightened, madam. I'll take care of you. Thirsty. Give me water. Oh, such pain. All the symptoms of arsenic poisoning. Now I know why Holmes asked me if I had any magnesia. Ferric oxide. Do something for me, doctor. I'm dying. Don't worry, your highness. You're not going to die. She's 
Going to live, Holmes? Ah, oh, gracious me, I'm tired. Just touch and go there for a while, though. Well done, Watson, old chap. Well done. Now that she's out of danger, why can't we all go back to our cabins? It's nearly dawn, and we've been locked in here since one o'clock. You've no right to do this, you know. Possibly not, Sir Christopher, but there's a murderer in this cabin, and I don't intend to let him escape. Mr. Holmes, what happened? How could I have been poisoned when Fruma tasted everything first? Why wasn't he poisoned? For a very simple reason, Your Highness. The murderer has been conditioning Fruma for over a year. What do you mean? He's been feeding him gradually increasing doses of arsenic until he has finally become immune to the poison. Great Scott, I never thought of that. Fruma's glossy it... hair, his complexion, and stout figure are all typical of a person who consumes arsenic regularly. But who could have done it? Only one person had the opportunity. Well, tell us who that person no, is. No, not you, Sir Christopher, not you. For you haven't been on the island for years, whereas Fruma returned from Calabati but three months ago. Raduna has also been in London with her mistress for the past 18 months, remember? The answer is obvious. You did it, Verda. You brought the taster over when you came to fetch me. You'd prepared him for the year beforehand. Of course I did. No white runner will ever rule over Cavaratti. And you murdered Dr. Harris. Equally true. Mr. Holmes, give me the key to the door, please. Oh, no. Do not come near me. Please throw it on the floor. Do not hesitate. You see this revolver? I should have no compunction in using it, I assure you. How do you expect to escape, Yoda? The key, please. Thank you. You'll never get away with this murder, you devil. But I shall. We are now in the harbor of Cavarati. I shall swim ashore and arrange your welcome, my dear Rane. Turn your backs, please. Turn them. Thank you. Goodbye. He's gone. Come on, Watson. After him. You, you have your revolver, Watson? Yes, but I didn't get a chance to draw it. He had me covered. Well, draw it now, old fellow. Aim for a leg or an arm and don't hesitate. There he is, up on the lifeboat. He's climbing up on the rail. Where is he? Where did he go? Out there on the rail above us, madam. He's going to dive. Give me that revolver, Dr. Watson. Quick, that's it. Come down off there, Verda. Oh, Madeline, keep out of my face. There he goes. He's dived. Ah! Madam, you shot to kill. Of course I did, Mr. Holmes. Remember that we're now in Cavarotti waters. And that I, though I may not look like it at the moment, I am still the Ronnie of Cavarotti. <laughs> That, that was a swell story, Doctor. It had a lot of color and quite a bit of action. <laughs> color and a bit of action? Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you liked it, my boy. Oh, I did. Say, so, you know, that's not a bad idea. I mean, uh, having someone taste everything before you eat it. Oh, it's a very old idea. Very old. Very common, too, years ago. You know the kind of job I'd like? No? What's, uh, what's that? I'd like to be the official taster for the Petri family. Boy, just think of all the Petri wine I'd get to taste. Petri to the right of me. Petri to the left of me. What a life. What wine? I wouldn't mind having that job myself. <laughs> you said it. The Petri family, you know, really knows how to make good wine. They've been making wine for generations. And because they've always owned and operated their own business ever since it was started way back in the 1800s, well, the Petri family has sure piled up plenty of skill and experience. 
Yes, they've been handing down in the family from father to son, from father to son, the fine art of turning luscious grapes into delicious wine. That's why you can't go wrong with any Petri wine. It must be good, because Petri took time to bring you good wine. Well, uh, Doctor, what new story do you have lined up for us next well, week? Next week, Mr. Bartell, I'm going to tell you an adventure that Sherlock Holmes and I had many years ago. It concerns a series of bonfires an underground cellar full of gunpowder, and a strange death on the rooftops of London. Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested for an incident in the Sir Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventure of the Mazarin Stone. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri...